Hello, and welcome to the Independent Pharmacy Alliance podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Resnick. This episode is brought to you in part by Independent Pharmacy Alliance, IPA. IPA is a trade association buying group representing 3,700 independent pharmacies, leveraging buying power to help pharmacies access pharmaceuticals at the best prices. IPA now serves 3,700 independent community pharmacies across the United States and offers a comprehensive third-party help desk, legislative advocacy, and continuing education free of charge to members. Learn more today at ipagroup.org. And in this episode of the IPA podcast, we will speak to and welcome the owner of Green Hill Pharmacy, East Windsor, New Jersey, Neil Raval, about how independent pharmacies provide important services to their communities. Neil, welcome to the IPA Pharmacy podcast. How are you? Hi, Anthony. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate this. This is awesome what you guys are doing here. Thanks so much for being here. For our new listeners, I want them to all know that Neil is a IPA member. I've known Neil for a number of years now. He has an incredible story about community service and how independent pharmacies, as part of their business model, can perform all sorts of community services and be recognized by their county, by the municipality, and by the state. And in turn, they're doing good things for the community, but at the same time, they're building their reputation within the community as a small business. And it makes people want to be a part and come and shop in his particular pharmacy. So before we get started, Neil, can you speak a bit about your professional background and the history of uh, Green Hill Pharmacy? Yeah, sure. I graduated pharmacy school from University of St. Joseph in Hartford, Connecticut in 2014. Once I graduated quickly, I accepted a position at a large chain pharmacy, and I was there for about four years when I quickly realized that the driving factor for how that pharmacy does business isn't necessarily patients. And when I'm in pharmacy school, we learn about patient care, patient advocacy. We learn about consultations. We learn about side effects, drug-drug interactions. And quickly, what I was realizing is that I wasn't really using that knowledge. I wasn't really able to go above and beyond for patients. And so I started looking at other jobs, other opportunities, and I found a a position at an independent pharmacy uh, not too far from the town I graduated in. You know, I I loved every minute of it. My wife and I ended up moving to New Jersey and I found this really nice place. And I I looked at her and I said, "I, I think we can do this. I think I could do better on my own. And that's really where the idea had sparked from. And we opened our doors in 2018 of April and literally have never looked back. That's really an amazing story. So it gives you a sense of fulfillment. You've opened up your own pharmacy. You have a hands-on approach now when you deal with your patients. Talk a little bit about some of the differences between working in a chain and an independent and how you're able to help your patients more and meet some of your own personal goals in terms of being a pharmacist. I think the biggest difference is the communication with the patients. One of the major differences that I have noticed is whenever I would talk to a patient at the large chain pharmacy that I work for, it was always a very negative conversation, always calling me, yelling at me, telling me that we did something wrong. And nine times out of 10, it wasn't really something that I could control. 
it was more of the software system that had a, a problem with it, or it was the text messaging service that was texting the patient the wrong information, or the patient was confused thinking that something was ready when they were actually just asking if the patient wanted a refill. And it was little things like that. Scoping out and thinking about it on, on a bigger picture, I'm able to control every aspect of my business. So if that means that on a Saturday at 6 p.m., if a patient calls me when I'm closed and their daughter or son needs a medication for an antibiotic and they don't want to go out and they live close to where I, I'm at, I've come back. I had dinner on the table and someone called me and was like, my dad needs an antibiotic. Stopped what I did, went to the pharmacy, opened the store, filled the medication. I dropped it off. I think that's the biggest difference is that dropping off and that level of care that you have where you're delivering prescriptions, not just you're delivering medication, you're delivering better health. And so every aspect of the business is controlled by me. And if I don't like something, literally have to pick up the phone and try to figure out a way to fix it. If I don't like the way the messages are going out, I change the script. If I think the messages are going out too frequently, I change the frequency. If I think that certain medications shouldn't be that expensive, we fix that. We do what we can to help the community. And that's the biggest difference, I think, at an independent pharmacy is that we can control everything. We're not told what to do. Did you feel that the bureaucracy at the chain and the corporate culture kind of prevented you from using all of the tools in your tool chest to take care of your patients? Anthony, this is the thing. So when I first started with this company, I was put into a, a very high volume underperforming pharmacy. And with the hopes that this new pharmacist who's got a lot of energy you know, he's got a lot of time, he's going to take the pharmacy and turn it around. And that's exactly what I did within one year. And I can tell you, and this is in Connecticut, this isn't in New Jersey. That's where I graduated from. So the board of pharmacy from Connecticut came in to do an inspection. And, and I, I will never forget this conversation. He actually kept that pharmacy that I was at last. And he brought his coworker with him. And when I asked him why he did that, he said, I wanted to show him what a bad pharmacy was like. Lo and behold, we got a 99 score on that. And he's like, I'm trying to find flaws here and I can't find it. The problem and the reason why I said this was, is that, that I worked hard to get the pharmacy who was the lowest underperforming, lowest score, even the board of pharmacy knew that, got it to the point where it was the top performing pharmacy. And yet what happened was is that the manager pulled me out of the store and said that, okay, go work there. You know, obviously didn't give me any credit for anything that I did. And the guy who stepped in for me was the one who got all the credit because it was shy of under a year and everything gets reevaluated in the year. And so the bureaucracy in the management in the corporate pharmacy level is that if you're liked, you're going to be liked. If you're really not liked or if you want to do more in the company and there's just not an opportunity for you or there's no room for you, they just keep stringing you on. And I was done with it. I, I opened my pharmacy when I was 28. So the sky's the limit. You have to take a risk. And I think you have to do a lot of research. It's not, this isn't an easy profession, but being able to actually make a difference, I think is, is one of the, the most rewarding things about what I do. So they hindered you from doing the right thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the manager that was there, she was very young, very energetic. And I think she wanted to prove a lot. And I guess she did it at the cost of me. Long story short, when I left the company, I gave my two week notice. I did mention to her that what she was doing was not good. And I won't say that it's everyone in the, in the company. I won't say that it's everybody. I think that it was a change in management that really changed the dynamic of the district. And that change was horrible. And you can see the patient care was low. You can see that the unemployment rate in our district was high. You can see that no technicians wanted to work. 
as pharmacists, we were dipping into our own pockets to just give gift cards to our technicians to thank them for the hard work they did when that should have been the corporate's responsibility. You know, we were on our vacation time or on our off time, we were coming into the pharmacy to do work or we were scheduling a um, Dave and Buster's trip with the whole team just to appreciate them where that should have been something that the corporate would have decided to step in and do. But I think at the end of the day, it's more money in the pockets and profits over patients is what the motto was. Did anyone at the chain ever say, look, there's a problem, maybe we need to do something? Or is it something they really didn't want to talk about? The bottom line was the only thing that mattered. They expected you to hit certain quotas, and that was it. Well, Anthony, I'll tell you this. When I voiced my opinions, I actually got written up. So to answer your question, that's what the company thinks. I got written up by my manager for asking the hard questions, and and it wasn't anything that was substantial. And so that's the point where I knew that I needed to make my transition out of this company. And that's how you transitioned over to Green Hill Pharmacy. Absolutely. You needed to open up your own pharmacy in order to serve patients and practice pharmacy the way you always imagined that you would, where it's you're dealing with patients, where you're a member of the community, and it's not all about the bottom line. Anthony, when I worked at that pharmacy, I actually did what I do now. I did that there. I went out to a, a shelter, and this is when I worked for the chain. I went out to the shelter, and when I had some students, what I did was one of the projects that the students would do is they would do a final project, which would be a presentation on any specific topic that this group of people really were interested in, whether it's how to put eye drops into eyes, whether it's talking about the importance of diabetes management, whether it was talking about medications that interact and what drugs can be mixed and what can't be mixed, whether it was talking about sleep hygiene and things like that. I actually went out on my days off and I actually went with a student to this shelter and we gave a presentation to almost 50 people in that group. We did a flu clinic with that group. We educated them and I did everything in my power that I could, but I realized that there was a lot of things that I was limited to doing. And when I opened up Green Hill Pharmacy and decided to do what, I, what I'm doing now, I decided that I wanted to do this my way, be a part of the community, get involved with the mayor, asking where we can help the community out, help the township out. And you'd be surprised at some of the things that we've accomplished. Tell me a little bit, let's delve a little bit into the community service. You've been providing COVID-19 vaccinations. As far as I can see, you're one of the first independent pharmacies in New Jersey, I think, to really try and get into doing COVID-19 vaccines. What has been your experience during the pandemic with patients and with providing the vaccine and, I guess, challenges with actually getting the vaccine and getting into the patients? The biggest challenge with the vaccine itself was access to it. I think in the beginning in the state of New Jersey, the model was that we wanted to do mass immunization clinics, which means that a arena would be blocked off and 10,000 vaccines would be given a day. But the problem was, is that my area wasn't that. It wasn't hard hit, nor was it somewhere that, you know, we could just forget either. I mean, there was a lot of elderly folks that's there. There's a lot of folks that take care of elderly patients. We had a lot of people who worked in healthcare who live in my community. I have a ton of doctors. You know, we have a ton of nurses and very respectable people who work and live in the town that I'm in. The problem here was is getting access in the beginning. And that was the biggest issue. So that's where the conversation with the mayor of East Windsor and I came into play is that she asked me if when we do receive vaccines, if we could work with the township and partner with them. And so unfortunately, when we received the vaccines, 
many of the folks in the town had already been vaccinated by driving an hour, driving across state lines, going to counties that they weren't even part of, being turned away from three or four counties before they found one. And so, you know, a lot of folks scrambled to find the vaccines. But once we had them, we reached out to the community and we had an overwhelming response of patients who were still looking to get the vaccine, just were not able to get it. What were some of the challenges in terms of how did you reach out to the community? What type of things did you do to let them know Green Health Pharmacy is providing the vaccine? Come to us. We'll take care of you as far as the COVID-19 pandemic. What were some of the things that you did to reach out to the community uh, in regards to the vaccination? So the way my pharmacy, the way that I like to run it is that I'm community driven. From day one, I reached out to a couple of organizations that provided a lot of resources to middle school, elementary school, high school kids. There's a big organization called PAL, PAL, Police Athletic League. And this group is a large organization that has very well affiliated connection with the folks who live in my community. And so grassroots, I went on Facebook, Instagram, I did that. And I noticed that there wasn't that many people who were was giving us a call. And so I reached out to this organization who we donate to and, and we're, we contribute to and we're a part of. And I kid you not, I didn't have enough hands. I didn't have enough phone lines. I did not have enough people. At one point, I had so many calls coming in, I had to turn the phone lines off. Wow. It was that crazy. And the minute the word hit, it was like fire. It was everyone texted their friends, their neighbors, their babysitters, their mechanics, and was like, hey, if you don't have the vaccine, give Neil a call and he'll get you in. And and that's basically what it was, is that one spark. But it started from our connections that we we were involved with the community with previously to the pandemic. So in a way, you kind of became the hometown hero for some people, right? For some people. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm a hometown (laughs) hero, but we did. We did help out people in a critical time when no one else was there to help them out. So and I think those people really appreciate that. When we were in the height of the pandemic and patients were coming in and not everybody knew exactly what COVID was. How did it affect your pharmacy and your staff professionally when you were first learning about how you need to protect yourselves, PPE equipment, things of that nature? What were some of the challenges that you had with that? I'll be honest, Anthony, I was scared. Mm -hmm. I really was. I was so scared. I mean, I was so scared that we closed the pharmacy for a weekend and I was, I rerouted every phone call to my personal cell phone and I logged in from home and -hmm. I was triaging every call from home. We were so scared because we didn't have masks. We literally didn't have masks. We had no gloves. Mm. We didn't know like proper glove hygiene. Like, do we need to switch between patients or every hour? Do we need to sanitize our our blue nitrile gloves or whatnot? Mm. That process took, I would say, just a few days just to figure out. And once we calmed down, took a step back and realized this is what I have. And a lot of the supplies I, I keep in storage from just the flu clinics and things we do with the township stuff. And we rationed it out. We, we opened our doors. We put up panels. We, for a good, almost a year, we actually only did strictly curbside pickup. So no one came in the pharmacy. No one had to leave their car. We were right at curbside. But one of the things that we did at the height of the pandemic, and, and we realized that there was a need for was there was a shortage of hand sanitizers. And mm-hmm. I mean, I had a couple of patients call me and say that, hey, Amazon's charging for a bottle of hand sanitizer. And we're like, that is ridiculous. And they're like, but I need it. So people were scared and and older folks who had no access and they were scared to go get groceries. So we decided we had to do something about this. And my partner and I, we got together and we decided that let's make hand sanitizer. So 
We got the raw materials, we got the recipe, we got the formula. You know, we wanted to do a little bit different. We didn't want to just make a classic hand sanitizer. So we had a little bit of lavender, a little bit of glycerin so that your hands don't dry up. And we reached out to the mayors of East Windsor and Robbinsville townships. And we told them that anybody who lives in your town, if they call us, we'll give it to them for free. It was a bottle of hand sanitizer. We made and gave over 2000 bottles of hand sanitizer free of charge. We did not charge a single patient for that. We actually went as far as to go to elderly folks homes. And if they were felt scared or they didn't want to come out to the pharmacy or they just didn't have any means to get out to the pharmacy, we took a list of names and we had maybe about 25, 30 and my driver, my technician and my wife also jumped in her car and we went around town and just delivered hand sanitizer to the entire community. With all of that being said, a lot of 55 plus communities, which is there's a lot of them in, in New Jersey, they reached out to me and they said, hey, you know, our community, we need hand sanitizer. Can you get us a couple of gallons? And um, the fire department from the township reached out and they said, hey, our firemen, they don't have anything either. Could we get a couple of gallons from you guys? And there's a group called NJ Rise, which is a nonprofit organization in town. And they help out a lot of underserved patients and indigenous population folks. And they reached out and said, we don't have any for ourselves and for our patients. Can we get a couple of gallons? I mean, all in all, I would say we, we made and, and donated about maybe 20 gallons of hand sanitizer on top of the 2000 bottles that we donated for free. And so that was my vision. I was going to be a pharmacist. I was going to be involved in the community. I mean, that's really amazing. You produced all this hand sanitizer, gave it out for free. I remember going to the supermarket at the height of pandemic. You couldn't find hand sanitizer if your life depended on it. Yeah. For those pharmacy owners who are listening to this, who've never reached out to a municipality, never reached out to a county to partner with them on anything, but they're interested, would you advise them? What's the first step in doing something like that? We're very valuable in the resource that we provide. And as independent pharmacy owners, we actually play a unique role in healthcare, not just healthcare in pharmacy, but not just pharmacy. We play a unique role in the independent pharmacy realm because we can provide services that are different, that are unique, that are out of the box. And I think the easiest step is pick up the phone, talk to your local municipality leaders, whether it's mayor, whether it's councilman, whether it's legislature, senators, councilmen, assemblymen, whoever it is, talk to them. Just say that, hey, I'm here for you. Where can I help you? And what can I do to be involved? And I think that simple conversation itself will turn into a domino effect of things that pharmacists and owners can do for their community. Something else you were involved in with the mayor and council members was running flu clinics. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that was a very unique opportunity that we had. So the mayor, Janice Miranoff of East Windsor, she actually reached out to me and said, this year, we're not going with a traditional flu clinic where the township would buy the flu shots and they would administer it to their folks because number one, they didn't have access to it like we did. And number two, they didn't have the manpower or the ability to run a clinic. So on the phone, we actually spent a couple of hours over the course of a few days we talked with the health department, we talked with the mayor, and we figured out a drive through clinic. On our Facebook page, you can see a lot of the pictures that came about from this clinic. We had a, a nice tent where patients could drive right under. They wouldn't have to get out of their cars. All they would have to do is just basically open their doors. And we immunized them right through the door of their car and they left. It was such a smooth process that all in all, we were able to do almost over a thousand vaccines in just that flu wow. season, whether it was for the mayor for the township, 
for the seniors who lived in town, or it was the 55 plus communities that reached out and said, hey, we want this for our community too. And if you remember, and many of the owners that are listening would remember that in 2020, during the flu season, there was a major shortage of vaccines. And so we had all these clinics lined up and we didn't have vaccines. And so being part of a group like IPA, we leverage the connections that we've created. And we called a few people and different vendors, whether it was Sanofi or GSK or Merck. And we're like, hey, we need vaccines. What can we do? And this is our challenge. And we were able to secure the vaccines. Whereas if it wasn't us doing it, I don't know if those people would have been vaccinated. Another thing that you were involved in was Narcan distribution. The state has a program where once a year they provide Narcan to pharmacies to distribute for free to patients that come in, and it's all to prevent drug overdoses. And I know you participated in the last Narcan distribution. While COVID is going on, we still have an epidemic of drug overdoses, whether it's opioids or street drugs. Tell me a little bit about why you got involved in the Narcan program and what some of your experiences have been in terms of distributing Narcan to patients. One of the things that I'm doing as not just a pharmacy owner, but a member of the community is I'm getting involved. And in the township of Robbinsville, I'm actually the chair for the CARE Coalition, which is the organization that actually helps patients who have been pulled over by a law enforcement officer or have been having trouble with substance abuse and getting them the right care that they need. And at one of their meetings, Mercer County Prosecutor Angela Onofre was also there at one of these meetings. And I stood up and, and I felt so overwhelmed with some of the panel discussion conversations that they were having. I was so over, overwhelmed that I decided I had to do something. So I got up and I said, anybody who wants Narcan, I'll give it to you for free. Because I was, it was just that big of a deal and access to it was just so limited. I had a flood of phone calls coming in and out of my pocket. That was the first, I think, that we actually started with Narcan and, you know, then joining the Care Coalition and being part of that organization in Robbinsville. And they've done an excellent job with that through their canine units and their police officers who are extremely talented. With all of that said, we reached out to the Department of Health state of New Jersey. And once this program was implemented, I knew I had to be part of it. We reached out to our connections and contacts. And then Narcan Day came, which is actually a three-day event this year. And, you know, we had a line of people at 9 a.m. standing right outside our pharmacy waiting to get free doses of Narcan. And that's exactly what it was. It was no questions asked. You had to be over 18 and we had to give them some paperwork and counsel them and make sure that they knew what they were doing when they had to administer and if and when they needed to use it. But I can't remember the exact number now, but I think it was close to 50 to almost 75 doses we distributed in conjunction with the state of New Jersey. That's amazing, Neil. You know, I've had family members who've experienced issues with drug dependency and everybody you talk to knows someone who was either hooked maybe on a prescription drug or hooked on an illegal drug. Everybody's got a story in New Jersey. And the fact that you're doing this kind of work to provide Narcan to people for free to save their lives is just incredible and a testament to you and your staff. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. So before we wrap up, I want to talk to you about one thing. I couldn't end the interview without this. One thing that every pharmacy owner and pharmacist has to deal with, unfortunately, are pharmacy benefit managers. And we just heard about all this incredible work that you're doing for the community, giving away hand sanitizer for free, struggling to give out COVID-19 vaccinations, working 
with residents of the community to prevent deaths from overdoses. But at the same time, you're running your small Main Street business in East Windsor. You have staff that you employ. But at the same time, you have these Fortune 500 companies, pharmacy benefit managers, who are raking in multi, multi billions of dollars. But they're making life extremely difficult for you and other pharmacy owners. While you're performing all these good works in your community, in some cases, they may be reimbursing you below your acquisition costs. They may be auditing you and fining you for things that aren't really that important only because they want to make a buck on top of all the mega millions they're already making. And while you're doing this, do you ever think I'm doing all of these good works for the community? Why is, do you think, that these large conglomerates either don't care or don't recognize the type of work that you and so many thousands of other independent pharmacies are doing around the country? I don't think they understand. I really think it comes down to that. They really just don't see the value that we provide. And I think it's, it's a way for the rich to keep getting richer and the poor to keep getting poorer. I, I would hate to think that that's the truth, but unfortunately, I think that's what it is. You know, all the good work that we're doing in the community translates to patients trusting us and trusting our pharmacy and our pharmacy staff and our pharmacists and things like that. And ultimately what happens is that we do get a uh, surge of patients that decide during a period of time that they want to use our pharmacy. And I can remember there was one patient, I mean, we're in a neighborhood here. And so he's walking distance. I can see his house from my pharmacy and his child is a little bit older, but he has a mental disability and a handicap. And he has a lot of medications that he takes. And it would have been just so much easier for them to come walk down the road on a beautiful day like today and come into the pharmacy and just pick up their prescriptions. Well, when we transferred the prescriptions, we were able to fill a couple of fills. After the third fill, they said that no more maintenance medications could be filled at my pharmacy. I had him call the company and I had him try to explain to the pharmacy PBM, basically the benefits manager saying, hey, this is the situation. My son is X, Y, and Z, and I need to use the local pharmacy. It's right down the road. They said, sorry, sir, if you'd like, we can have you use our mail order pharmacy, or we could have you go to a pharmacy that's nearby. Well, nearby, the only pharmacy that was nearby was two or three miles away, which means that this person would have to get in his car. Having any child or someone with a disability at home, it's either you find care or you have to bring them with you. And it's just tough. So we're doing all these things for the community. We want to make an impact. We want to help patients out. But at the end of the day, the PBMs are the ones who are really governing everything that we do. And the question you asked is why? And I think it's just they don't understand. They really don't see the value that we provide. And I think the minute that one of their loved ones and their family sees the value that an independent pharmacy can make in their own lives, people who run these companies, CEOs, CFOs, COOs of these companies, when they realize that these pharmacies are making an impact more than some of these chains, then at that point is when we can make a change. And we all have to band together, I think. I think that's really interesting what you just said. You know, I've been doing this for seven years, working with independent pharmacies. I haven't heard that yet, that PBMs just haven't taken the time to get to know what independent pharmacies are doing in their communities. And either they don't care or they just don't bother to. But I think that's really an amazing point is that they have not taken the time to get to know what Green Hill Pharmacy is doing, what other pharmacies are doing within New Jersey and all around the country. I think that's incredible. The fact that these huge companies that have so much control over the prescription drug market just don't reach out to you and say, hey, 
you're in our network. We just want to get to know you and what you're doing for the community. And that never happens, does it? No, never. I never get a call from a PBM saying, hey, I want to know what you're doing. It's always like, hey, you did this wrong, you know, mm-hmm. or like, we want to see what the prescription says. Did you actually build this correctly? Right. It's a shame. Neil, I'm really proud to be associated with you. You're an incredible guy. You're really doing work that's helping people every day, saving lives, literally saving lives. It's funny you say that. Actually, I tell my team that yep. I have students who come through from different schools all the time and I tell them. And I say it, right? I say, I say, you saved that patient's life today. You know, they laugh, they say, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, no, seriously, you saved that patient's life today. Mm-hmm. It's funny that you say that, but I use that phrase a lot in the pharmacy. Neil, you guys, you and your staff, you're truly pharmacy heroes. Superman has nothing on you. <laughs> I say that. And I want to thank you for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Anthony, one thing before we wrap up. My guru, Pramukh Swami Maharaj, he lives by the credo, in the joy of others lies our own. And and really, that's a lot of what drives me is that seeing other people happy is, is where my passion in pharmacy stems from. And that's the passion that I have. And all the stuff that we've done, you know, and just a month ago, we were recognized by the mayor of our township and we received the 2020 Business Award. And, and it was an award that recognized everything that we've done, not just last year in the pandemic, but everything we've done since we've opened our doors to help the community and help the patients out. And so I'd like to say, if, if any owners are listening, I'd like to tell them that get involved. There is a way to do it. You can make an impact. You can make a difference. And not for nothing, it really does help the community out. Take a look at our example. In just a few short years, we received a, a business award for the township. And so it's possible and it's definitely doable, but Anthony, you and IPA have done such amazing work over the last couple of years to gain legislation and break ground on many of the important topics that us pharmacy owners have had trouble with over the last couple of years and trying to change the way that people think about pharmacy and giving us more value-based reimbursements rather than this is a product, you get $4 for this. So I appreciate everything you do. I appreciate the kind words. And I also want to say that it's not Anthony Resnick and IPA alone. We work with a great group of pharmacy organizations and groups in New Jersey, like GSPO and others. They've been great. They've been great. And we've all worked together to get some really good laws in New Jersey. And we're going to keep working together and we're going to do a lot more. Thanks for everything that you guys do. Absolutely. It's totally worth it because, you know, you're a young guy and listening to what you're doing it makes this middle-aged guy feel good. So yeah. it truly does. I really mean that. So Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Neil, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Independent Pharmacy Alliance podcast. This podcast was made possible by the Independent Pharmacy Alliance and the president and CEO, John Giambolo. It was produced and edited by Zach Stone with music by Marcus Way. For previous and future episodes, check out ipagroup.org. Thank you very much and bye for now.